This morning, we're going to be studying from John chapter 13, where Jesus washed the disciples' feet. So I thought it might be good for us just to begin with an example of washing feet. And so, Don, I was hoping you might come forward to the front row here. Yeah, you. No, I'm only kidding. You can sit down. Were you just shocked for just a moment, though? You, be, you can begin to imagine how shocked the apostles might have been, though for different reasons. On that night nearly 2,000 years ago when they had been eating the Passover supper, and Jesus got up from the table, took off His outer garments, girt Himself about with a towel, and then began to wash all twelve of the apostles' feet. John chapter 13, in my opinion, is the most challenging chapter in all of Scripture. And this morning, I would like for us to learn the six challenges of John 13. The challenges of becoming a foot washer. Read with me in John chapter 13, beginning at verse 1. Before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that the hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from the supper, he laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon, Peter, Excuse me. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, well, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him in verse 10, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things... Blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the Scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place. And when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. 
And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Most of the time when we talk about John chapter 13, we're talking about it in order to discuss what we don't have to do. What it doesn't mean, not what it does mean. So let me just go ahead and get that out of the way and share with you what it does not mean. It does not mean that we literally have to, in order to serve God, wash one another's feet. That was a cultural practice that was necessary during that day because they wore sandals, they walked on hot, dusty roads, and it was, a, it was a means of service that someone would come home and their feet would be washed to help them uh, kind of like a back rub or something, you know, a massage that might just let the day come out of their lives as their feet are soaked in the water and the dust of the day is cleaned off. That's not something that we literally have to do just because we find it here in this passage. Second, even as it was used in that culture, it was never once used as a means to worship God. Never once was it used as a means to worship God. The church did not come together to worship God and by that wash one another's feet. They did in acts of service individually wash one another's feet, but not to worship God. But brethren, I'm going to tell you, when we get into John chapter 13 and we learn the challenges that Jesus there has for us, when we're done, if you're like me, you're going to wish that John 13 had merely said that every once in a while we need to have a foot washing service. Because the challenges that Jesus lays out for us in John 13 are deep and they're immense. In reality, I believe John 13 demonstrates to us here is the essence of Christianity. Here is what it means to be Christian. John 13 lays out this challenge before us. It says you may go to the assemblies, you may give lots of money, you may be there every time the door is open, but if you're not doing what Jesus demonstrated here in John 13, you are not Christ-like. It is a frightening passage. It tells us that here's what it means to have Jesus in your life. Everything else is icing on the cake. But these challenges are what Jesus has called us to. Are you ready to hear them? Before we do, would you bow with me in prayer, please? Almighty God and Father in heaven, we humble ourselves before you. We're thankful for your word that tells us how we can serve you. We're thankful for your son who exemplified for us what we should do. Father, we pray that you help us to open our hearts to what we're going to read in John 13 this morning and that we'll open our hearts to the challenge and we'll step up to the plate and we'll strive to be like your son, serving one another. Help us, Father, to live this challenge so that we might be blessed by you. Forgive us where we've fallen short of these things. Forgive us where we've, we've played Christianity. Help us to dig deep into your word and into your son's life so that we can be like him and be what you want us to be. Father, we thank you for your love and we love you. Through your Son we pray. Amen. The very first challenge of John chapter 13 is the challenge to serve others. In Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28, Jesus said, Even the Son of Man did not come in order to be served, but in order to serve. Now we recognize in that text he finished it with, And give his life a ransom for many. The ultimate service. Jesus came and He served us by dying for us. But we talk about that every week. And so for many of us, that service has become kind of blasé. We hear about it all the time and it doesn't quite mean as much as it used to. And yet for others, it's still amazing. In fact, it's awesome. It's just, uh, it's awe-inspiring. We can't fathom that. And when we think about us trying to be like that, we just can't imagine the ability to serve in the way that Jesus did. In contrast to that, we have John 13. Washing feet of the disciples. Now, that's something we can do. 
And it's not something that we talk about very much, so it's still quite impressive to us. And we see what Jesus did here as he came not to be served, but to serve. The challenge for us is like Jesus to serve others. Do you recognize that on this night, Jesus completely turned the social order of his day on its head? Jesus, the Master, performed for the disciples what only a slave was supposed to have to do by washing their feet. In Luke chapter 22, Jesus demonstrated this in a parallel passage. In Luke chapter 22 and verse 27, Jesus said on the same night, Who is the greater, one who reclines at the table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. The point being that Jesus is the master, was the greater one. He was supposed to be reclining at the table. The disciples should be serving Him. If anyone there that night was supposed to wash feet, it should have been the disciples washing Jesus' feet, and yet Jesus turned that over and did what He should never have to, serving His disciples. Can you imagine what was going through the disciples' minds? As Jesus went through and washed all twelve of their feet, and then He sat down, And in John chapter 13 and verse 13, he began to say, You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash. What do you think they expected to come next? Do unto me as I have done unto you. As I have washed your feet, you also ought to wash my feet. That's what I would expect. And yet that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, if I, the Master, am willing to wash the disciples' feet, how much more should you disciples be willing to wash disciples' feet? How much more should you be willing to serve one another? Can you imagine Matthew? Well, you know, I don't mind washing maybe Peter and James and John's feet because I know they've got a, I know that they've got a great relationship with you, Jesus. But listen, I work for the government. And you can't expect me to wash Simon the zealot's feet because he's kind of a rebel. And yet Jesus just said to them in general, if I wash your feet, how much more ought you to wash one another's feet? I want you to look around. Look around at these disciples that are here with us today. Do you hear what Jesus is challenging us in John chapter 13? He's saying, if I have been willing to come down and serve you, how much more ought you be willing to serve one another? How much more ought you be willing to wash one another's feet? Oh, and we don't have to wash feet. That's true, but you know, it may be that our reaction to that, how we so immediately jump to being able to defend why we don't have to do that, as more of a demonstration of the fact that we haven't actually gained the principle here. But if you want something that's not quite as archaic, what about going over to their home and cleaning out their toilet? What? No way! I have not possibly... God has never asked me to do that for anybody. You know, if Jesus, God in the flesh, could come into the world and perform the lowest and the most menial of tasks for these twelve men... How much more ought we to be willing to perform even the lowest and most menial of tasks for one another? And that's Jesus' challenge, to serve 
one another. Are you challenged yet? The second challenge. As Jesus girded himself with a towel, filled the basin with water, and went about and washed the disciples' feet, is the challenge to humble yourself in the sight of your brethren. How easy it is to look at ourselves through rose-colored glasses. Or maybe I should say just how easy it is to look at ourselves. You know, there are actually two different kinds of navel-gazing. There's the kind that says, oh, look at me and how wonderful I am. Have you ever heard the Carly Simon song, You're So Vain, You Probably Think This Song Is About You? That's that kind of person. Oh, I'm just wonderful. Everybody thinks about me and how great I am, and they all know how wonderful I am. But then there's another kind, and they would never think that they're arrogant or pompous or self-centered, because whenever they think about themselves, all they can think is negative, awful thoughts. Oh, woe is me. I'm so awful. I'm so bad. I'm so pitiful. Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. But you realize that both of these people have the exact same problem? Both of these people spend too much time thinking about themselves, and they both think that everybody else is spending a lot of time thinking about them as well. And that's just arrogant and prideful. And Jesus' challenge to us is to humble ourselves in the sight of our brethren. To not think nearly so much about ourselves. Now, Jesus' challenge was merely what James worded in James chapter 4 and verse 10. It wouldn't be quite as difficult. It wouldn't be quite as hard. In James chapter 4 and verse 10, James wrote that we should humble ourselves before the Lord and He will exalt us. Well, in the presence of the Lord, how can we do anything but humble ourselves? God's awesomeness and His greatness, we, we can't help but be humble in front of Him. But that's not what this passage is talking about. It's talking about 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5. In 1 Peter chapter 5, and verse 5, where Peter points out that we are to clothe ourselves in humility before one another. This is saying that I've got to humble myself before Alan and Michelle and Linda and Don. That's what it's saying. Humble yourself before your brethren. And of course, Jesus is the all-time ultimate example. Look at this, look at this foot washing. Here he humbled himself before those who were less than he was. How much more ought we to humble ourselves before those who are equal with us? Philippians chapter 2 talks more about Jesus' example beginning in verse 5. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5, Paul wrote in Philippians 2 and verse 5, "...have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus." who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He humbled himself, being obedient to God, even to the point of death. He humbled himself before the Father one with whom he had equality, but he didn't think that that was something to be grasped and held on to. He humbled himself before the Father, and then he humbled himself before us, serving each and every one of us, dying so that we might be forgiven. And Paul had explained what this humility means in verse 3 and 4, where he said, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, 
but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. I am supposed to view you as more significant than me. But how can I do I'm the preacher. Who are you? I'm an elder. I'm a deacon. I'm a Bible class teacher. You know, this is really tough for us. Because we want everyone to know that I am the one who is more significant. My ideas are the better ones. I'm the one who's smarter. I know more. I teach best. I'm better. And if everybody else would just figure that out, we'd all be better off. Can't you imagine, imagine Peter, James, and John saying, oh Lord, sure you don't mean for us. We're the inner circle. Yes, the others ought to wash our feet because we are so close. We have a relationship with you that nobody else has. But Jesus' point was we ought to humble ourselves before one another. And that means viewing the others as more important than ourselves. Look at who's sitting beside you. They're more important than you. We don't like that, do we? Because we're Americans and nobody's more important than we are. Are you challenged yet? Third challenge. Very similar to the last one. The challenge to prefer one another in honor. This is probably the most difficult challenge of this whole thing for me. Maybe you understand what it's like to cringe with a little bit of jealousy when somebody else gets complimented. Oh, that brother so-and-so, he's my favorite preacher in the world. Wait a minute, I'm standing right here. A little bit of jealousy. You see, it's very easy for us. We want the honor for ourselves. We want folks to look at us and say, he's the one I like the most. Or she's the one I like the most. They're the best. Oh, we couldn't make it without them. And we want that honor to be brought to ourselves. You know, there are a whole class of people that don't obey God in order to glorify Him. They obey God, or at least go through the motions of obeying God, so that men will look at Him and say, oh, look at how awesome they are. Remember our study in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 1? Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you'll have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And then he talked about the Pharisees and scribes, the hypocrites, that prayed on the street corners and sounded a trumpet when they were about to give alms to somebody and that they would make their face look all drab and pathetic when they were fasting. And it wasn't because they were wanting God to be glorified. It's because they wanted the glory. But Jesus says that we're not to be seeking the honor. We're supposed to be passing that honor off to God. God's the one that's supposed to be glorified. But also, when we're talking about our relationships among one another, we shouldn't be seeking the honor. We should be seeking to pass the honor off to others. Preferring them and not ourselves. Isn't that what Jesus did? You know, when it comes to honor, look at Revelation chapter 5 and verse 12. In Revelation chapter 5 and verse 12, there the Scripture says that the myriads of angels, the thousands and thousands, were saying with a loud voice, 
Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Here is the one who is most worthy to receive honor. Jesus Christ, the Lamb slain for our sins. He is most worthy. And what did He do on that night? Took off His outer garments. Took up a towel. And got down on His hands and knees. And treated the disciples like masters, washing their dirty, disgusting, stinky feet. That's preferring others in honor. And if Jesus could do that with folks like Peter, why can't we do that for one another? Romans 12 and verse 10 Romans 12 and verse 10 says, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Some translations say prefer one another in honor. Quit being busy doing work so that folks can see us. Rather do things so that folks will see others and honor them. You know, we can accomplish so much more when we quit worrying about who gets the credit. when we work so that others can be honored. Of course, we say, yeah, but there's some people, they're just not worthy of honor. 1 Corinthians 12, 23 deals with that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and verse 23, there the Scripture says, on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And on our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. We bestow honor, more honor on those who we think don't deserve it. Why? Because that helps them grow. On those that seem weaker, we honor them so that they can grow thereby. And of course, we're not dealing with honoring folks who are in sin. But those who are weaker, those who are struggling, those who seem to be less a part of what we're doing, those are the ones that we find where to honor them so that they'll grow. I know we want the honor. But Jesus challenges us to prefer others with honor. Are you challenged yet? Challenge number four. And this is going to seem a little bit surprising because it has more to do with our relationship with God than with one another. But you see, not all of the challenges in John 13 are about our relationship with other, others. One of them, at least, is about our relationship with God. And that's the challenge to not lean on our own understanding. We find this challenge smack dab in the life of Peter. Poor Peter. He just always seemed to be the guy that could be used to illustrate whatever principle we needed to avoid. And this is no exception. This is no exception. I don't know how many people who Jesus washed their feet. I don't know what number Peter was in this list. I know some people work really hard to make him the first one. I just don't know. We don't know if he was the first guy and they all learned from his mistake or if he sat there just seething, amazed that none of the other disciples would stop this while Jesus washed their feet. Oh, no, no. I get it. I understand that we're not allowed to let Jesus. He, he's the master. He doesn't wash feet. And I'll be the one to stand up and get the trick question right. 
We don't know. But you see what this demonstrates is that Peter didn't understand. Peter didn't understand who Jesus was and who He is. That He is the God who serves. The God who is coming down to perform the ultimate service. God is a God who serves. He created this world in a way that perfectly suits us so we can breathe air in and out every day so that we have food, so that we can eat. He served us. He served us by giving His Word. He served us by giving us His Son. And Jesus is that same God in the flesh. A God who serves. And Peter didn't get it. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5 says, Don't trust in your own understanding. Lean not on your own understanding, but trust in the Lord. And Peter missed that. Let's see how that plays out in John chapter 13. In John chapter 13 and verse 6, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? You see, what Peter says is, Lord, I don't understand what you're doing here. You're the master. I'm the disciple. You shouldn't be washing feet. But Jesus, almost like a father that's kind of bringing his son along, he said, hey, you know, just calm down, Peter. He says, you don't understand what I'm doing, but afterwards you'll understand. Jesus gives him the answer right there. He says, Peter, you don't get it. I know you don't get it, but what you really need to do is just shut your mouth and let me go on with my business because I know what I'm doing. Did Peter back off and say, you know what? I bet Jesus, the Master, knows what He's doing. I bet maybe I should just trust Him that He knows what He's doing and I should let Him do it. No, Peter said, never shall you wash my feet. Jesus, I understand better than you. You may think I don't understand, but oh no, I understand. And what I understand is you're the Master and you don't wash feet. Kind of like us if Jesus showed up in plumber's garb and said, hey, I'm here to clean your toilets, what would we do? So then Jesus said to him, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. And again, it's like giving him another chance. He says, look, Peter, you don't get it. I know what I'm doing. Let me do it. Does Peter then say, you know what? I bet Jesus knows what he's doing. I'm just going to let him do it. I'm going to let him wash my feet because he knows what he's doing. No, he swings on the pendulum all the way to the other side. Oh, if this is about sharing with you, then Jesus, you don't know what you're doing. You're not doing enough. Don't just wash my feet. Wash my hands and my head too because I want to be with all of you. And while it seems on the surface to be a noble desire that Peter is saying, you know what, if this means having a share with you, don't stop with my feet, do it all. He's still saying, Jesus, you're, you're not doing enough. You obviously don't understand, Lord. And I want to be a part of you, so wash the whole part of it. And Jesus says, no, no. Peter, I know what I'm doing. Washing your feet is enough. You see, Peter needed to learn to just trust in the Lord. He knows what he's doing. And we may not always understand. We may, we may wonder sometimes, why on earth did Jesus say this? Why did he ask us to do this? And at times we're going to come down to the end of it and say, you know, I don't know why. But I know this is what he said, and so this is what I'm going to do. And how many churches have been established over the years? Because people just haven't understood why God would require something. And so they've decided it must not be. Or they don't understand why God wouldn't require something, so they started a church that does require it. Let's just trust the Lord. Let's just do things His way. And lean not on our own understanding. Because I'll tell you what, I bet the Creator of the universe knows what He's doing. And we can just trust Him.
Are you challenged yet? Number five, the challenge to quit competing. This is important because we see it in John 13 based upon the context of what was happening that evening. I wonder what the disciples were thinking as they sat there, reclined out, and they watched Jesus start washing one of the disciples' feet. And then they saw Him wash another one. And another one. Do you think they were thinking about what they had been doing earlier that evening? Do you think as they watched Jesus wash the other disciples' feet, they thought about the mean and hateful things they said to one another as they competed for who was the greatest? In Luke chapter 22 and verse 24 it says, A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. I have no doubt that the reason for this was is because the greatest is supposed to get to sit next to the master. And so now they're trying to decide who's going to get to sit where on the table and they're jockeying for position they start arguing about who's the greatest. Oh, we're a part of the inner circle. Oh, but hey, wait a minute, guys. I wait for the go- I work for the government. Hey, guys, I had to repent more than all of you. So I'm the greatest. I should get to sit next to the master. Do you think as Jesus was washing their feet that they thought about what they said to Peter? Boy, if I said that about how much better than Peter I am and Jesus is washing his feet, what does that mean about me? Quit competing. And one of the things that most amazes me is that here the disciples have been arguing about who's greater, I've done this, I've done that, you did that, and all these other things. I have to expect Jesus to jump up and say, would you guys just all be quiet? Do you guys not get it? I am the great one here. I am the one who is God in the flesh. I am the one who has come down from heaven in order to die for your sins. And if you guys would all just finally understand that I am the great one, then we'd be able to get along better. But he didn't say that. Instead, he took off his outer garment. He girt himself with a towel. And he washed their feet. As if to say, it doesn't matter who is the greatest among us. What matters is who serves. Romans 12 and verse 4 demonstrates that we're a part of a body, but we all have different roles. We all have different functions. We don't run the same leg of the race, but we're all running the race. We're all a part of the team. And what it points out to us is that our job is to not compete with one another, but to work together as a team. We've read Matthew 25 and the parable of the talents. Some of us have five, some of us two, some of us have one. But the issue is not to argue over who has the greater talents. The issue is to use our talents in order to serve and glorify God and to help the brethren. You see, for some of us, we look forward to that day of judgment because we know that we're not going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. We're going to hear, well done, my best and most faithful servant. Oh, if only everybody else had been just like you. But brethren, it's not a competition. And if everybody else was just like you, we'd still all just be a bunch of sinners. We need to learn to quit competing and learn to just do our part for the family of God. Are you challenged yet? The final challenge. 
the challenge to love unconditionally. Open your Bibles again to John 13 and remember what he said at the very beginning. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. This washing of feet was a demonstration of his love for these disciples all the way up to the end. He knew it was about over. He knew he had come from God and he was about to go back to God. But instead of getting pompous and arrogant about where he was from and where he was going, he loved his disciples to the end. And he sat down even then and washed their feet. But here's what amazes me. And that is the unconditional nature of this love. You see, the challenge of John chapter 13 is not that we would love somebody some of the time, but that we would love everybody all of the time, no matter what they've done to us or for us. Everybody can love somebody some of the time. In fact, we learned in the Sermon on the Mount that the Pharisees and the tax collectors, the hypocrites, all of them, the Gentiles, they can all love somebody some of the time. The question is, can we love everybody, including our enemies, all the time? Can we love folks no matter what they've done to us, no matter how they've hurt us? Or do we only love those who we know will do good for us? What amazes me is that Jesus not only loved these disciples in general, the rash, sometimes unbelieving, sometimes silly and arrogant men. But then when I think specifically about some of those men, I'm amazed. Peter who was going to argue with him right there in front of the rest of the disciples? Jesus washed his feet too. Peter was going to deny him three times verbally that very night. But Jesus washed his feet too. But you know what most amazes me? The man who was in that list? Judas Iscariot. I have no doubt that the reason verse 18 reminds us that there would be the one who ate bread with him whose heel was lifted against him is there to provide that striking reminder that the heel lifted against Jesus, Jesus washed. He washed the very heel of the man who lifted it up against him. Now, brethren, that is unconditional love. That unconditional love means taking the one who has struck me and offering him the other cheek. That unconditional love means taking the one who has oppressed me into service and walking the extra mile. That unconditional love means taking the one who has abused me and loving them and treating them kindly. That unconditional love means whatever they've done to me or can do to me or can't, it doesn't matter. My job is to love because that's what Jesus does. And Jesus left this room where he washed their feet and they went out to the garden and Judas left and betrayed him. And they brought soldiers, and they carried him through some mock trials, and then they hung him up on a cross, and they nailed his hands to the cross. And as they mocked and ridiculed, Jesus cried out to the Father, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He said that for the people who beat him and asked him to prophesy who struck him. He said that for the people who whipped him with the scourges. He said that for the people who bound that crown of thorns and shoved it down on his head. He said that for the people who struck him about the head with the rod. He said that for the people who mocked him. For the people that said, if you're the Christ, why don't you save yourself? He said, Father, forgive them. I don't know. They don't know what they're doing. Now that is unconditional love. Are you challenged yet?
Don't you wish that all John 13 meant was we had to have a foot washing service every once in a while? Because you know that would be easy. But this is a challenge. And we really like things to be easy, don't we? Let's not end on a completely challenging note. I'd like for you to notice one verse. In John chapter 13 and verse 17, the Scripture there says, If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. That seems counterintuitive to us. Our idea is that challenge is not a blessing, but Jesus points out that when you step up to the plate and work on these challenges and grow in them, it is a growth process. When you grow in them, then you'll be blessed. You'll receive the blessing from God, the gifts of God, that provide happiness and joy and contentment. And I know that doesn't fit well in our politically correct society, because in our society, we should be seeking our own self-esteem first. Let's take care of number one, and then we'll do all this other stuff. But Jesus said that we need to serve others, that we need to humble ourselves before others, that we need to prefer one another, lean not on our own understanding, quit competing, and love unconditionally. And when we do that, then we'll be blessed. Are you ready to receive God's blessing? Then step up to the plate and face these challenges.